This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Tearfund's Footsteps magazine and Aruka Network. In this episode, I've been speaking to the man behind a training hub for eco-entrepreneurs in Nigeria. And he's been telling me how the young local people he works with are turning the country's huge problem of rubbish into a thriving and sustainable business. We were amazed to discover that there were young people who could take this electronic waste and convert them into an entire system of solar energy. That's the voice of Fwangmoon Oscar Danladi, who, as well as being a pastor and an environmental activist, also runs the Joss Green Centre in central Nigeria. He describes this centre as a movement of young people, and his job is to inspire them to see opportunities to create jobs and businesses as they care for the environment. And in this episode, he tells me how big a problem waste is in his country. He explains why there's no concept of waste in his indigenous language. He talks about why electronic waste in particular, like mobile phones and other devices, are a goldmine. He explains how young people are using this goldmine to build eco-businesses. He talks about how these businesses are solving other problems in the country. And he'll share some tips for how you can start a similar project where you live. So let's get into the interview. I had a fantastic time chatting with Oscar. In fact, listen to this clip. This is what I told Oscar after we had finished recording the interview. You're a fantastic speaker. You're so articulate and inspiring. I, I was in I was in a bit of a bad mood before um this morning before we started speaking and now I'm in a good mood. So you know. <laughs> But let's start at the beginning. I began by asking Oscar just how big a problem is waste in Nigeria? Waste is probably one of the biggest environmental problems we face in Nigeria. Describing your house to someone, you would tell him when you get to this particular dump site, you just turn left or something. So it's almost like uh, waste is something that is with us and we're with waste. So uh, it's a big, huge problem. And I don't see it really because people don't want to care for the environment, but because uh, people only know what the best way to do to manage their waste is to dump it. So you have this huge environmental menace, you have uh, health issues, all resulting from uh, lack of proper waste management. Uh, you have a whole lot that connects climate change, it connects to waste. The, the issues are just so enorm- enormous as you relate it to lack of proper waste management. So waste is a big problem that the government still struggling with how to, to manage it. Communities are struggling on how to manage it. Individuals are, are struggling on how to manage it. So waste is just a big problem that has several strands of impact, health impact, 
uh, economic impact and environmental impact. So what's the huge problem in Nigeria? And what kind of waste are we talking about? So plastic waste is top on the list, but we have this huge, and I call it a gold mine, because it's often not spoken about, which is electronic waste. Nigeria is one of the big importers of electronics, uh, if not in Africa, in the world. Uh, so we have a, a huge waste problem in the electronic sector. We also have organic waste uh, coming largely from uh, the agricultural sector. Why? Because quite a number of people around here are, are farmers. So uh, generate a lot of waste. Households generate a lot of waste. But then in terms of hierarchy, I would say plastic waste is number one. Lastly, because of the culture that we have embraced, which is the, the buy, use, and dump culture. Uh, but then, so you have these three categories of waste. I mean, we can go deeper to break down the plastics, but we have huge plastic problems. We have huge electronic waste problems, and we have a huge organic waste problem all lumped together. Um, you used the term goldmine there to describe the e-waste in particular. And that, that brings me on to this idea of the circular economy. Uh, now, I think some, some people listening to this will know what the circular economy is, and some won't. Um, could you describe it to us? Contrast for me is like the best way to understand stuff when I, when I make sense of things within a context of contrast. So I, I first think about the linear economy, which is simply uh, the economy where you buy things, you use, and you dump. But then we have the recycling economy, which is when you buy things and you use and you try as much as possible to reuse them and repurpose them and uh, recycle them. But then uh, recycling economy, you still have some parts of the waste that goes back to the dump site. But in, in circular economy, my the picture for me here is almost like that of uh, the natural environment where nothing goes into waste. So things are just re-channeled into. So what is considered to be waste in this sector is a raw material for another sector. So there's just this cycle of how things are used and reused and redirected. So at the long run, you don't have anything called waste. And really for me, that that is, as, as an African or as someone that comes from the global south, I, I see our traditional worldview to be secular in nature. Because uh, when we started our journey of understanding waste, we, we had a training with waste aid on how to manage waste and the dynamics of waste and all of that, opportunities in waste. And one question that came quite strongly to us was the question, what is waste in our indigenous languages? And we were shocked to discover that there is no concept, there's no word for waste in our indigenous languages. Rather, you, you, you either consider something to be not usable now or something to be kept for later use or something to be given to someone who needs it. So that concept for me now gives me an idea of circular economy where resources are used in different sectors and you eventually don't have anything going into the dump site. 
So that's, for me, the idea of circular economy, where resources are just moved around different uh, sectors and different industries and different hands and different people. People just have, they just use resources differently. uh, And at the long run, you don't have anything called waste. That that's so interesting. So, tell us how how at the Just Green Center how you're supporting young people to develop eco enterprises using this this circular economy idea. Okay, we started largely as a movement, and because our our context is one which young people are usually marginalized and not considered or taken seriously. So we have our context is is one that you describe the young people as nerd, not educated or not uh, employed and not trained uh, or do not have access to training. We looked at that context and we looked at the vast opportunity of young people and huge environmental, like I mentioned earlier, waste is a huge problem. But we discovered that the area of environmental sustainability, issues around eco-jobs, are things that are uh, seldom spoken about. People are not, government is not interested. Very fewer people as of 2015 were interested in that conversation. And because our journey started from this place of reflection, how do we engage this massive youth population in Nigeria into problem solving? And we discovered that one area that is ignored is the area of environment. And we said, but young people have huge potentials to think creatively and to be able to innovate and to be problem solvers. And it was in that state of thinking that we we saw opportunities in identifying young people who have great potentials to, to problem solve. And we just simply brought them into the center and carried trainings like value orientation because values is very important in in, in running with projects is very important in sustaining projects. So we did a lot of trainings in value orientation, but beyond that, we started helping them to reimagine Nigeria and to see how their skills can be useful. And because we desire to also deal with social issues uh, around unemployment, young people engaged in vices and all of that, the project, specific project we did was what we call the Rethinking Urban Community, where we, we looked at this huge gold mine of e-waste and we brought in young people and said, what can we do with this? And because some of our communities have huge problem of access to energy, we were amazed to discover that there were young people who could take this electronic waste and convert them into, by, by taking out components of, these electronic waste, like the transformers, the resistors, and all sorts of elements from these things considered to be waste. And they could put them together into inverters, into solar charge controllers, and eventually build an entire system of solar energy. The only thing we bought in that project was we bought panels, solar panels, because again, we that can't be made locally for obvious reasons of lack of resources and all of that. But these young people could mine into, and that's why I said electronic waste is such a huge gold mine, because again, we have a lot of it. Now, these young people, uh, particularly one of them that we worked with, 
Uh, and we believe that there are so many young people that we can identify locally that have this potential and this skill. And we train them and we brought them in and enable them to see this so so social issue of people living in having energy poverty and enabling them to see how do we solve this problem. And through some uh, funding, particularly working with Tearfund uh, Nigeria, Tearfund UK, we got some funding to support the project. And about 50 young people were trained on how to provide or build solar systems and install them in their homes. And that is the story of how the journey began for us, particularly in the area of mining into electronic waste. And the project has continued to amaze and dazzle a lot of people. Though it was a pilot project, we had some few challenges, but then the result was phenomenal. And a lot of people have shown interest in that project. And right now we're seeing how do we build such trainings, build a curriculum around waste innovation and integrate it into our learning institutions where it's about solving problems and seeing opportunities in waste. Mm. I, I don't know how electronics really work. And I imagine a lot of people listening to this won't, won't know much about how their electronic devices work. Um, what, what advice would you give for people listening to this who, who, who might want to explore how they can use e-waste uh, and convert it but but don't have the the necessary skills like it sounds like this young person who who did have these skills must have been particularly gifted uh in this in this area of electronics it's interesting to to mention that this young person i think only went to what we call primary school uh, uh that's elementary school right um he he only had an elementary school education. But Google is one great teacher. Uh, myself inclusive, I didn't have an idea of how these electronic waste things work. But when we started the training, some of us participated in the training too. We discovered that these are very basic science, basic uh, physics that one can just learn by simply Googling. And really, a lot of young people spend most of their times online doing all the social media stuff, but when they can actually use the internet. And that taught us a huge lesson. And again, as a center, we're trying to see how do we integrate this lesson? Because all young people are asking and looking for are access to resources not necessarily funding, access to, to, to the internet, access to platforms that would enable them to be, to, to be trained for their capacities to be built. And we discovered that there are vast and tons and tons of information about how you can take things from this electronic waste from the internet and convert it. Though I must say it comes with a, a bit of diligence and commitment and willingness to learn. But we see that there is opportunity in countries that have access to internet for young people to just go online and study and, and see and just mine information on the internet and make use of it. And I think that's what works here. This young guy just taught himself simply by having a smartphone that can access the internet. And he spent a couple of years working on this. And the 
outcome is what we have. So I, essentially what I, I'm saying is that I don't think you have to be a professional in this thing. With the internet age, with the internet revolution, access to internet, people use it for, for people can use it for good. And young people actually, once they have access to this thing, they can be self-taught, they can have access to information and they can make valuable uh, time on the internet, training themselves and accessing uh, other experts in this area. And I think that's what happened. Uh, we, we, we see amazing results when young people have access to the internet. We see amazing results when young people have platforms on how to access trainings and all of that. So you don't really need to be a professional. You just need to have access to the right information about transformers, right information about resistors and all of that. And some of these informations are out there in the internet for free. Hmm. And and has it become a, a viable business for 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 these young people that's converting the e-waste into solar panels? Yes. Yeah, so some of the learning experiences we've had is the fact that uh, because again the project was a pilot, we we learned that uh, it would take much more than just few weeks or few months training for them to be able to build viable, sustainable businesses around this stuff. But then we can see the impact, especially on the community. Now, this is a community that had huge energy problems. They were not too far. It's an urban slum, but it's cut off from the national grid. But you can see businesses beginning, like particularly when we were evaluating the project, we saw this young lady that has a saloon uh, for making hair and all of that. Prior to now, her business was almost closing up or folding up because she doesn't have access to light. But because she participated in the training, I was able to learn some basic skills about how to build this stuff. And as an outcome of the training, one of the systems was installed uh, in her shop. She talks about the fact that people now patronize her. She now has, has access to basic power supply to, to just power things, put music and uh, charge phones. And so there are several other businesses that are coming up, going, uh, coming up from that project. But in terms of the capacity of the young people, one the, some of the learning experiences we've had is that it will take a bit more than just a few months training. And that is why we have uh, proceeded to engage with one of the training institutions is a technical school here in Jos, here in Nigeria. And we, we're already building a curriculum. We're getting some experts to say, we have piloted this, and these are the results. These are the lessons. How do we integrate it into some sort of a certificate program where it's not just about the head knowledge, but it's about young people practically equipped to see opportunities in waste and electronic waste and all sorts of waste and problem solved. So uh, the learning experience we're having right now is the fact that it has to be integrated into some sort of a long-term training, uh, but then with key components of these lessons that we've learned. And uh, we're hopeful that once the curriculum is out, once the system is set and accredited by the government, it's essentially going to be a huge program where more young people will be trained and these other ones can further be trained to now be able to sustainably build longer uh, uh, systems that would last longer and be able to set up businesses around renewable energy with systems produced locally and not imported. 
um, we've we've talked mainly about electronic waste, e-waste, yes. so far. I guess everything you're talking about here, this applies to any form of waste, does it? To is is there equivalent with plastics, with fabric, with um, with other forms of waste? Yes, yes. So be, beyond beyond just and again, the exciting thing about the the electronic waste project and why maybe I think I'm talking too much about it is because of the potential we saw with just that pilot. But moving forward, the center is setting up uh, a social enterprise around plastics, because like I said, top on the list uh, is, is a plastic problem. And we, we're trying to bring some innovation even in how we collect the plastic waste. Uh, because again, first, there's a problem with sorting, there's a problem with collections, uh, before we even start talking about uh, making products out of it. But then we're looking at vast opportunities in even making pavement tiles from the plastic waste. And the technology is quite basic, very simple, accessible. When you go on the internet, when you go on the Waste Aid website, you would see different technologies on how to convert this plastic waste into pavement tiles that can be used to sort of uh, make drainages, used to make the road look nice and uh, build houses even with some of those the, uh, bricks that will come from the plastics. Those bricks are even stronger than the ones that come from cement. Uh, and we're also looking at opportunities in uh, woody waste. Uh, some of the technologies are quite basic where people in local communities can convert their woody waste into charcoal briquettes that don't even smoke. And the process is just simply through some basic process of carbonization uh, and just converting them into briquettes or charcoal briquettes that women can buy and use. So right now, the center is almost about 80% done with that setting up that social enterprise. We're getting uh, a workspace built where young people can be brought in to sort of get collect this waste, crush them, and convert them into varying products so the principle works similarly with that of the electronic waste and these young people that that become involved in these ventures as they grow um in confidence and things like this do they begin to lobby governments or anything like that to improve waste management in nigeria yes as a key component of our engagement we we do not ignore the power of policies uh, and I give you an example. When we started quite early, we started with just this thinking of collecting banners. Banners are, we have a lot of churches here that do programs, uh, church programs, and they hang banners for their programs as invitations. And after the program, those banners are still hanging there. And some of them are made of plastics and they are quite, quite durable. And when we started, we wanted to collect those banners off the road. That was the first plan, the, initially, the initial plan. We wanted to collect the banners and sort of just get them off our streets so that and clean up the streets. But when we started collecting, we started thinking, what can we do with these banners? But then we encountered a huge problem. Some of those churches are coming against us because, again, they want their banners hanging. But then the programs are over. Nobody is cleaning it up. Uh, so we had to engage with the government agency that is responsible for ensuring the metropolis is clean. And 
we had to do a lot of high-level lobbying and conversation and discussion with them to be able to go into some sort of a partnership that enables us to clean up the street and beyond that, to have government put strict policies about how these banners and these things are hanging. And government, to a large extent, they seem very open to people that are willing to partner with them. So uh, policy discussions and policy dialogues are very critical to our own method of engagement. Advocacy visits to key parliamentary members and uh, government members they are all part of what we desire to do. And we have a whole training that we call the advocacy and movement building training. And part of that training is just simply to equip young people with tools for understanding the root cause of problems and, you know, uh, designing interventions with clear code strategies on how to engage government. So it's part of it. And it has yielded results for us in the last couple of that we have been working. We've had opportunities for government to call us for dialogue, for government to take us seriously. So you're right, Jake. The engagement is beyond just the grassroots engagement, but it's about engaging policymakers. Can we talk a bit about uh, the more, the sort of the human element of this? I'm curious that you're working with all these young people. I'm interested in what, what motivates them to get involved. Is it care for the environment is it the future of the planet or is it is it building a business and generating a, an income or you've talked about faith as an in as a factor as well um yeah what what's what is motivating these young people um in in your in your experience so before we even bring any young person to work with us we have processes of recruitment and the one of the great resources is a biblical resource that sort of played a very significant role in setting up the center, in starting us up. Uh, it's a book, I, I think, by Micah Challenge, edited by uh, Justin Fileta, uh, Live Justly. Uh, Live Justly was, is a 10-week is a session that captures 10 critical issues around justice, justice and creation care, justice and generosity, justice and prayer. So there are a whole lot of justice and consumption. So you have all of those critical areas that sort of provides a framework, a foundation for our rule of engagement. And every young person we engage with, we first request that you go through the study. And we, we, the study is designed in such a way that it's done in groups, uh, just to bring in the movement building component. So it's done in groups. And it is when you have done the first stages of uh, the process of recruitment, we have what we call the changing narrative workshop. And the changing narrative workshop is essentially to, to, to challenge and inspire the young person to have the right value for engagement. So it's not about making money. It's not this capitalistic driven mindset, but rather we come from a place of, of, of faith. We come from a place of value. We come from a place of, uh, of uh, uh, wanting to just make a difference and make a change. And then we connect it with this whole bigger global trend of climate change, which is visible. And the young people just see all of these things and they are inspired to want to take action because 
we we are the future we we are the present the future whatever affects the future affects us and affects every single one of us and even our children so we we bring them to that place of urgency to see that we you can have the money but then we lose the environment but essentially we don't ignore the fact that there's a huge unemployment problem so for us is a synergy between what we call economic and environmental sustainability so we move the young people but the baseline is to begin from that place of understanding god's justice god's shalom and god's desire for creation to flourish one thing that often happens with this show is people hear listeners hear a story like yours and they think how can we do something like this where we live um and i know people might want to ask you what kind of challenges you've encountered in developing this work what's the what's one of the hardest things uh, you've found in getting this kind of work off the ground so like I, like i said uh, uh being youthful in our context is it's almost considered to be a curse uh because look at look at our leaders our leaders are mostly older people they're in their their old age uh so young people are not taken serious they are marginalized and when we started one of the things we had to deal with is we had to deal with the fact that we are young and we wanted to make a difference there is a predominant narrative that anything being led by young people should not be considered serious because again it's going to crash so the first two years the huge challenge we had was the challenge of making it emphatically clear that the center is a youth driven initiative so we wanted to host a conference we call it youth and green jobs conference and we met with some key government uh policy makers and we said this is a conference we want to make because we believe that the future is young people and the future is green and we want to begin to inspire young people to see opportunities in green jobs so the guys were excited and they said wow so we have some young people that are thinking but then they said we would want to advise that you take off the youth from the title of the conference youth and green jobs and simply leave it as green jobs but uh jake you would be shocked that we insisted we said no we're living because again this is our selling point our selling point is that we are about the young people our selling point is we are young and we want to make a difference and something we believe strongly in is the fact that the youth are the 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 greatest resource that africa has but then we wrestled with that and at some point they had to just leave us they said okay but so the the challenge we had is in being deliberately youthful and being unapologetic about that and it cost us some partnership because a lot of people said uh we don't want to dive into anything that is youthful because young people are not serious but then we've journeyed since 2015 till date and we're seeing amazing results and we're seeing lives change we're seeing communities being impacted by these young people in their own small ways and we've seen young people that have committed to be on the center without being paid so we we believe that young people are the heart of volunteerism young people when young people are passionate about the thing 
they can volunteer even if they don't get a dime. I mean, I have been on the center, a couple of other people have been on the center, but we have not been earning a salary per se. It's about a social enterprise. Even the enterprises we're setting is about giving back to our communities and seeing how we can problem solve because if our community flourishes, we flourish. So um, just that fact of being youthful and trying to have a youthful, youth-driven initiative, it's a, it, it was a big challenge. But then we've journeyed and we're still journeying and we're still evolving. And then for me, again, if you ask, that's one of the biggest challenges we had. The other challenges, we've been able to deal with them. But this one, uh, no one wants to take young people seriously. So anyone who is wanting to dive into uh, doing stuff like this, I don't know what your context looks like. But then if you're a young person, be ready to go against the, the wind. Be ready to go against the storm and be ready to just make the difference. Um, I, I could ask you questions all day, but I think I think we should draw it to a close <laughs> soon. Um, for, for people listening this who listening to this who who would like to start something like this where they live, whether it be big or small, uh, what's what's the best way to get started? For us, it started with just wanting to make a difference. So then, uh, vision is important. Uh, what vision do you have of your community? I mean, if you don't envision your community differently, because again, that was where we started. We started by asking ourselves, do we want our community to be the way it is five years, 10 years from now? So we, we sort of re-envisioned our community. And this is biblical because the Bible tells us that young people would see vision. So we started by asking ourselves, what vision of Nigeria? We know Nigeria has a bad narrative out there. Uh, once you show a green card and you say you're a Nigerian, people think you're you're corrupt. People think you're just lazy or something. But we said, no, we want to change that narrative. So it begins with first having a vision of your community. Envision your community differently. If it's a broken community, see it as a flourishing community. Then the next thing is you first work on your values. So when you have the right values, which again, you don't put the cart before the horse. So we're not chasing money. We're not chasing wealth. We're essentially having this value of wanting to see everything flourish. And, and we know it's a biblical vision, vision of shalom, a biblical vision of justice, a biblical vision of how God desires that his creation works. So once you have the right vision, you have the right value, the subsequent thing is you begin to engage. So we now said, okay, how do we engage? We said, uh, and because we have a very communal uh, context, it's not an individualistic thing. Because again, when you do it alone, they, someone would say, if you want to go far, you work with others. But if you want to go fast, you work alone. So we decided to work, to go far. We, we know it's going to take a lot of time, but we decided to go far. Uh, so we're working together with others bring in others who believe in this vision that you have, uh, particularly in the area of working together in movements. And then you can begin to now convert this vision, which might be abstract into very concrete things and concrete results. Have clear-cut strategies of how you desire to achieve it. And, you rest, you, and be rest assured that you're, on, you're right, on the right track to achieving good results and setting up impactful projects in these areas. 
Oscar, I don't have any more questions. Uh, but is there anything? <laughs> is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, just just to to speak out to uh, a lot of young people in different contexts. I I believe that young people are just the resource that any community would have. And I mean, let's not fold our hands and keep waiting. We we can make a difference. And I mean, it begins now. That's that's just what I would say. It begins now. It begins with passion, with creativity, and with the desire to just see a change. It begins now. And if you're a young person, it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity to make a difference. And that's just believe in yourself and believe in God, what God desires to use you to do. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jake. That was Fuang Moon Oscar Dan Laddie from the Joss Green Centre in Nigeria. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you want to find out more about their work, then you can follow them on Facebook. Just search for Joss Green Centre and Joss is spelled J-O-S. But that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, don't forget you can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community on our SoundCloud page or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community Aruka Network. And Aruka, you should know by now, is spelt A-R-U-K-A-H. You can help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. You can learn more about Aruka on the website arukanetwork.org. You can learn more about Footsteps at their website, which is learn.tfund.org. And finally, if you have some feedback on this show or suggestions for future guests on this show, then please do get in touch with me via email. It's jake at arukanetwork.org. So that's it from me. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>